בכל יום נתון פרק 285, ואנחנו נעשה את זה זריז, זה יהיה באנגלית, אז אם אתם לא רוצים להאזין, תנתקו עכשיו, תעברו לפודקאסט הבא. דניאל ג'י הוא אחד מאורחי הדין המכובדים והגדולים ביותר שעוסקים בספורט בבריטניה. בין לקוחותיו, קבוצות פרמרלי, קבוצות ליגת האלופות, סוכנויות שחקנים, בעלי זכויות שידור וחברות ספורט. הוא כתב את הספר דן דיל, An Insider's Guide to Football Multi-Million Pound Transfer and Premier League Big Business. ואתם יכולים לעקוב אחר בטוויטר ביוזר פוטבול לא. הוא כאן כדי לדבר איתנו על עניינים משפטיים ועסקיים בכדורגל ביום שאחרי הקורונה. דניאל. How are you? Uh, um, yeah, all okay, thank you. Thanks for the kind introduction. And um, yes, I'm, I'm good. It's just uh, all very strange times at the moment, but this gives me the opportunity to speak to you and uh, it's, um, it's great to have my answer. Thank you again for having me. Uh, thank you for uh, popping by to our uh, podcast. Um, I'll start with a question that I always ask many people. Why would anyone own a football club? <laughs> It depends how long you have, but I think the um, yeah one of the one of the chapters in my book actually I, I spend quite a lot of time in Dundee talking about why why someone might want to own a football club um, and those reasons has probably changed over a significant period of time, but in short, usually it is for Um, it can be for different types of personality reasons. It might be for uh, ego. It might be for business opportunities. It might be to create a legacy. It may be for sporting reasons. Um, it may be that uh, it is something that um, a person has wanted to do for a, a particular long period of time. Um, and, and all of those things have changed over the years simply because as, as clubs and teams have become more valuable, The, the number of people and businessmen and women that can potentially own a club has, has reduced. Um, so now that we're talking about, um, you know, states, sovereign states potentially owning uh, football clubs, that is because of broadcasting monies, because of commercial deals, because of the innate value of leagues like the Premier League. Um, the, the valuable nature of those clubs becomes very important. And again, things like financial fair play rules um, which effectively prohibit um, uh, large spending so if you mix very big broadcasting and commercial revenues with uh, wage and transfer fee spending reductions or controls to a degree then uh, then you get potentially more of a profitable situation in certain leagues and although that hasn't been the case in years gone by clubs very rarely in the UK made profits Um, that has changed to an extent over the last four to five years. Will the coronavirus pandemic uh, change anything in the profile of the football owner? Well, it's a, it's a good question. Um, it, it depends how you see it, really, because um, th- there is no doubt that uh, the football ecosystem, the football landscape changes considerably because... Um, Leagues like Ligon, for example, have finished their season in Belgium as well. But others uh, like Spain and uh, Italy and the Premier League and the Bundesliga are obviously restarting, has mitigated some of those losses. But 
if if you take broadcasters as one of the key stakeholders, one of the key revenue generators for leagues and clubs, if broadcasting money is uh, reduced considerably, and that impacts on the club's cash flow significantly as a result, then there are a number of clubs um, that were already making losses that may make more significant losses, and their owners might not be able to afford to maintain or subsidize those losses. So what happens? Um, other uh, businessmen and women outside of sport that might see good value opportunities to be able to buy into sport if it's football or other types of um, industries. Um, so that may, in effect, um, add one layer of complexity. It may also be that you know uh, sellers uh, are not in a stronger position because of all of those reasons. So Corona, um, from a revenue perspective, uh, is obviously been pretty crippling for huge amount of industries, sports and football being one, but there are potential value opportunities the longer this goes on because clubs will be subject to um, significant cash flow restraints. Yeah. Um, just before uh, we all went to this uh, hiatus of uh, the pandemic, uh, there was a report in um, about you know money laundering through uh, football transfer in uh, through football's transfers uh, in Spain and Cyprus and other countries. Um, do you see that as a major problem in football before the corona and after the corona? I mean, is it something here to stay, the money laundering and, the, let's say, the weird transfer system we have in football? Yeah, well, the truth is, is that I, as, a, as a lawyer, I won't necessarily see those type of uh, things as I'm not really a criminal lawyer in that sense. And a lot of the work that I do is more on the commercial side. Now, what has taken place over a number of years are criminal and financial investigations by the tax authorities, by particular governments and uh, criminal investigations across lots of different jurisdictions. And I think, for example, one of the things that the national associations like the FA do and international and global bodies like FIFA are trying to do is to provide more transparency along the process. So, for example, FIFA has proposed a, a global clearinghouse for all transfer monies so that they have to go into FIFA and then can only go out to particular clubs when certain um, satisfactory conditions are met. Now, just like in any uh, in any business, there is always the, uh, the, the possibility of corrupt individuals and corrupt practices and sports over the years, unfortunately, has been uh, has, has been no different and we've seen lots of those types of um, reported issues that have developed. Now, ultimately, uh, that can be a national issue as well as an international issue. But, you know, from my perspective um, and in my experience of dealing with the Football Association, for example, in England, there's quite a strong, stringent process. The issue is, and this is where I don't see as much, where there are maybe national associations that don't have as strong processes and procedures in place, which can then uh, be potentially exploited. Yeah. Um, okay, from money laundering to uh, another kind of laundering, <laughs> what are the legal repercussions that we can expect from the Saudi takeover of uh, Newcastle United? And, and do you think it will happen eventually? Yeah. Um, the short answer is, is that at the moment, at least from the, the, the public reports, that um, 
you know the the, the Saudi government and effectively controlling the, the Saudi wealth fund that is potentially uh, purchasing Newcastle are going through a pretty stringent regulatory process, and, and that regulatory process, as you as you know, um, includes what is called the the owners and directors test, which is what used to be called the fit and proper persons test, um, and uh, in order to pass that test. There are a number of objective criteria. So you can't have a criminal record. You can't become insolvent. You have, can't be disqualified as a director or as uh, disqualified in terms of other types of professional organizations. Um, you can't be involved in piracy matters. Um, and there's a long checklist, effectively, um, that has to be adhered to for anyone that is going to be a director or controls um, a club. As well as that, um, there are lots of other types of conditions. So you have to be able to provide future financial information to show that the club is going to be sustainable um, during your period um, in charge. You have to be able to provide budget forecasting. You usually have to go and have to have meetings with the, the Premier League as well. And, and the complications with this potential transaction, at least what's being reported, um, relates obviously the death of um, a journalist um, a number of years ago. Um, and also uh, potentially um, the issue of uh, piracy as well, broadcast piracy, where quite awkwardly now the Premier League effectively um, wrote uh, to the World uh, Trade Organization, I believe, at the time, uh, suggesting that um, the alleged Saudi broadcast uh, partner was effectively not paying for uh, broadcasting rights and then streaming those rights over a particular platform. Now, all of those type of issues make uh, the discussion, implementation and authorization of such a a takeover more complicated. And at the moment, you know, Richard Masters, the the chief executive, has come out and said that's an ongoing process. Um, So that's all we know really at the moment. But, um, you know, it's certainly one of the more complicated issues that the Premier League is having to deal with, you know, in the round at a time where the Premier League is having to battle with Corona itself, the project restart in order to be able to mitigate against the very worst consequences of the season not finishing and the broadcasting money is not being received as a result. Yeah. And I mean, isn't, you know, the piracy issue, isn't just, you know, a problem that could be solved when throwing money at it? I mean, the Saudis will say, okay, uh, we've done this by mistake. Sorry. Oops. Um, let's, uh, you know, get a new TV deal for Saudi Arabia television. I mean, it's something that seems like, uh, you know, just a, a stick in the, in, in the wheel, not a real dramatic problem. Or am I wrong? Yeah, well, I think one of the conditions to pass the owners and directors test is that they, um, on, uh, that, um, they are not effectively um, uh, illegally um, showing any copyrighted um, broadcast, and that would obviously include mm. Premier League broadcast. And as well, at the moment, I believe, is that the Football Association has written to, um, I believe, the Saudi government because they've been broadcasting that the broadcast been broadcasting FA Cup matches involving Newcastle in the build-up to potential takeover. So. <laughs> there are lots of complexity um, it being in, in the mix at the moment, and, and obviously this is this is a very difficult one for the Premier League to have to, to sort out at an already very you know turbulent time. 
Do you think there is an, a national interest to get the Saudi Arabia team in the Premier League? Because uh, we do know about businesses and uh, business connections between Great Britain and Saudi Arabia. You're asking the wrong person there in terms of <laughs> geopolitics, I think, probably. But, um, yeah, I, I don't really know is the truth. I mean, I think ultimately the Premier League is going to have to come up with its own reasons based on the objective criteria of the test. And I wouldn't imagine that anything else gets in the way of deciding whether that is the, the, the case or not, at least from my, you know, plain, straightforward, black and white, you know, legal perspective. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the coronavirus, coronavirus long-term effect on the transfer market. Uh, I think it's more interesting, uh, you know, a bit of gossip. Um, do you think we'll, we'll see a new system, a new transfer system in football because of the coronavirus? Because the, right now we're talking about, you know, trades uh, between players. We're talking about uh, salary caps and luxury taxes and, and stuff like that are being uh, thrown out there. Do you think that something will change or we will see the same old system uh, as always after the coronavirus? Yeah, well, the, it, it's actually a really interesting question because I'm not necessarily sure that the, the whole system changes, i.e. systemic change, like uh, that there won't be transfer fees anymore or salaries have to be capped at a particular very restrictive rate. Um, what I do see is change within the system, for example. And if I give you a few examples, I, I was talking with um, uh, a, a company that I work closely with um, on a podcast we did recently on my Done Deal podcast where we talked about how, at least in the short term, because of the financial imperatives and the financial uncertainty and the shortfall in uh, finances from a number of clubs, even you know the most substantive ones, that there's likely to be a recalibration of the transfer market itself, i.e., you know, um, amounts of money won't be as significant as previously paid. The wages might not necessarily be all from apart from the, you know, the very elite players that we're talking about, Havertz in Germany or, and, um, uh, uh, and uh, Sancho as well in Dortmund. So I definitely think at some point over the summer period, when the transfer window opens, you'll almost see that recalibration whereby a, a big name or a bigger name, which might have, Um, uh, included a big transfer fee uh, isn't as uh, significant maybe for a number of reasons like the club is in more financial difficulty um, and they need to be able to raise money and funds um, in short order so I think that's one of the first things is um, it might not be uh, a systemic change but there are definitely trends within the market that are going to occur and I think obviously uh, at least in the shorter term lower transfer fees and wages is, is one I think the other part might be is that, you know, clubs are still going to need to retain flexibility to have to sign players. There's also a question over whether free agents can be paid as much as they otherwise possibly would have done. There's always a market saying, which is, you know, it, whatever you don't pay the club, you pay to the player um, on a free transfer. I'm not sure whether that will quite be the case uh, anymore. Um, and I think things like longer-term loan deals to provide that flexibility to clubs uh, might be uh, more widespread over the next couple of windows too. 
and you you know you quite rightly said you, you made a really interesting point about um cost control you know are things like salary caps luxury taxes uh, the actual system itself being changed there's already reports the bundesliga chief executive has talked about how salary caps can potentially be uh, implemented um in the in the uk leagues one and two it's been announced that there will be some type of um salary cap league one potentially being two and a half million pounds and league two being one and a half million pounds by way of cap um which is you know pretty stringent and pretty um strong that it's been brought in that quickly now we already have that in place in the premier league to a degree with uh, financial fair play and in UEFA competition through their own financial fair play systems. The question is whether something even more restrictive comes into play. Now, you might have seen, for example, and your listeners might have seen and heard that in the championship, for example, i.e. the league below the Premier League, you know, up to a third um, of clubs spend uh, more on wages than they receive in total revenue, which obviously not that sustainable is the truth, even with those particular types of cost control methods in place. So it might well be that there are structural changes from a cost control perspective in leagues which are already somewhat unsustainable. So it's all of those things going into the mix because, as again, your listeners might have, might know in the championship, the, the new chief executive, Rick Parry, came out recently and said, that in September there'll be a 200 million pounds shortfall, um, even if things go swimmingly from now on. Now that's a large amount of money that is going to have to be found from somewhere in order to avoid your know, long-term disruption and potential insolvency for a number of clubs below the Premier League. So something is going to have to change. Um, it depends what, and that's I think what the football authorities are considering at the moment. Yeah, because and if we're considering that the Saudis are gonna get in uh, and you know get in there and spend all that money, so like we've saw in Paris Saint Germain and Manchester City and in a way Chelsea with uh, Roman Abramovich, the prices mm-hmm. went up, um, and you know clubs were left behind because they just don't have that kind of money. Now we're talking about you know. Sovereign uh, Wealth Fund, which has a lot more money than any other club in the world, it could really disturb uh, the the whole system. It could uh, basically ruin the system and the financial fair play. Well, I, I don't I don't know how well it worked uh, if we have uh, such great gaps between the haves and the haves nots uh, in in European uh, soccer. So it will be very interesting. Uh, if the clubs themselves would say, okay, we need a salary cap, we need a luxury tax, um, do, do you think it's a, it's a possibility that the clubs will say, okay, we have to limit ourselves? Well, again, it's a good point because what effectively happened a number of years ago was that that's exactly the case with the financial fair play regulations. So what effectively was the case was that, sorry, can, can you hear me okay? Is it, is there's a bit of noise in the background. Can you hear it all right? Uh, yes, I can hear you well. Okay, perfect. Yeah, it's a really good question because what, what effectively happened previously was that was the, the rationale for the UEFA financial fair play rules is that a lot of clubs um, were concerned that uh, spending by one club brought 
spending up for the other clubs because that was their only way to compete. So the only way effectively to ensure that there would be some type of, um, uh, I wouldn't say equality, but living with everyone, every each club living within their commercial means, that there needed to be some type of restrictions in place. And, you know, the UEFA restrictions, um, you know, I'm not sure whether your listeners are aware or not, are pretty stringent. Clubs can't spend more than 30 million euros over a three-year period more than what they earn. Yeah. Um, that's more in the, the UK. Clubs are allowed to spend £105 million pounds over a three-year cycle. And again, in the Football League, it's um, £39 million pounds over a three-year, season, uh, three-year period. So there are pretty stringent um, uh, provisions already in place. There was a type of soft salary cap in the Premier League um, before the season, before last, which basically said that you couldn't spend more than £7 million than you did in the previous season. But that rule actually was removed at the end of uh, beginning of this season, I believe. So... The query is now, when we're being reactive to coronavirus, we're being reactive to the losses that are occurring and to the economic, the wider economic impact where the sport needs to take care of itself again. And I think in particular elements, for example, like the championship, the league below the Premier League, there are issues that need to be addressed. In the Premier League, for example, still a decent amount of clubs made profit in their last accounting period. That will probably almost certainly change yeah. based on Corona this season. But um, there are less, I, I would say, systemic issues from a financial perspective with Premier League, but at the lower levels, it is certainly still the case. Yeah. But do you think equality and fairness in football are imaginary concepts or something realistic that we could maybe yeah. see some of the big gaps closing? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a great question you've talked because I have, I have these conversations regularly with, with people in my industry and across, you know, across sports as well. I think it's important to note that when, for example, the financial fair play rules were implemented, they weren't implemented to re, uh, reduce uh, equality per se or to increase competitive balance, i.e. how competitive teams could be. It was more to ensure sustainability of clubs, i.e. maintain the healthy finances of clubs because clubs were making huge losses. I think the statistics were that in 2012, um, I think losses across the European club competitions were over 1.7 billion euros. Now that has innately changed where clubs collectively are making profit over the last period of time that UEFA has provided the finances for. But back to your point about equality and fairness, I almost think financial fair play is not the right idea. It should have been financial sustainability rules would have been better, I think, to a degree. Yeah. But when we're talking about fairness and equality and greater competitive balance, all of those type of things are redistribution ideas. Redistribute money more fairly so that clubs will, uh, will be able to compete better with each other, be more, provide a more attractive product a more competitive league which then is in everybody's interests um for the obvious reasons that you don't want the same team winning the league every year you want close games you want exciting competitive games etc now um 
there are issues at the moment. There's talk of uh, a wider European Super League uh, where clubs uh, may be guaranteed places in each year's competition. That will obviously and presumably um, increase any inequality. Um, and at the same time, there are leagues, for example, like I believe in Holland, that actually share the Champions League and Europa League distribution monies across their wider leagues because they believe that it's better for a more attractive product and maybe morally also uh, because it is something that they believe uh, equality is right. And look, let's, let's get this in perspective. The Premier League has one of the most equal distribution methods than any European league full stop at the moment. The, the, the winners of the league earn around £150 million from the central broadcasting rights and the 20th place club earns almost £100 million. Now, I, granted, that's still £50 million between first and 20th but that is still more uh, fairer and uh, equal than almost every other european league in terms of distributions yeah uh, last questions um do, do you see any possible you know positive effects on the football industry from the coronavirus something good will come out of this look i think it's it's uh, I, i think there are It's difficult to see the positives at the moment, but I think structurally there are maybe parts of the, the football ecosystem that need to change to a degree simply because it is somewhat unsustainable. Uh, you know, this is, please God, a once-in-a-lifetime type of circumstance, but it obviously then highlights the, the financial consequences of revenue stopping for any business, never mind football, for a certain period of time. I think the good thing that's uh, maybe at least occurring in the UK is um, until the end of this season, every game is being broadcast live on television. Yeah. Um, Including uh, free, free uh, on, on BBC, on free television. Correct. Yes, exactly. So I definitely see that as a big, um, uh, a big advantage, which is, you know, on the whole, there have been some games that have been broadcast through free Three view channels potentially for Premier League matches, but on the whole, this is the first time since 1992 that a Premier League game will be uh, uh, live on uh, the BBC, which is you know historic and unprecedented. So I think um, there may be uh, more systemic change to be thinking for the Premier League to be thinking about providing some games um, on a yearly season basis for a free-to-air uh, broadcaster like the BBC or ITV or other broadcasters um, because of the benefits that obviously that can potentially bring to the appeal for the Premier League and obviously the eyeballs as well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think ultimately, uh, you know, I'm a Liverpool fan and I, I'm not, uh, not um, you know, ashamed to say it right now is that, you know, I think fans ultimately want to be back in this, want to at least first be able to watch games again if it's safe and reasonable to do it but secondly you know they want to be in the stadiums enjoying themselves again and, and that is unfortunately going to be some time away but in the meantime it is the responsibility of each industry if it's sport if it's retail if it's um, a variety of different um, sectors to be able to do as best as they can to mitigate against the very worst impacts of this so that please god when We come out of this coronavirus situation either through treatments that work or a vaccine or a combination of all of the above, that there are industries still left 
to be able to um, to be able to work in, to live in, uh, to be able to enjoy, and um, and that's why we're also interested in football and sport because it's one of our big passions. Yeah. Do you think that the appetite for sports is so big? I mean, right now and you know for the long term for sure that sports eventually won't suffer too badly from a recession um, because you know as we saw you know like millions are watching the Bundesliga right now because that's the only live sports there is right now and uh, that and the Israeli league uh, but it, so, so do you think for the long term this will be like a symbol of people's love for live sports and and the and the image rights and the and the and the uh, and the rights for the media yeah. rights will go up because of the coronavirus and the effect it had look i think in the short term everyone will be delighted to be able to see things that they're used to seeing because that makes it everything feel more normal i think that is i completely agree with that i think in the I think in the slightly longer term, there are more fundamental issues, which is if, if uh, as most people accept, that a lot of commercial monies come into sport and especially into football and especially into the Premier League, along other leagues, uh, in relation to broadcasting revenues, um, there will be a query over whether um, fans, uh, because, for example, Uh, they are lo they're losing their jobs or aren't earning as much money um, or need to um, save more um, where the fans will be paying for the lucrative subscriptions across the world with pay TV broadcasters that have bid large amounts of money for broadcast broadcasting rights but in whichever but let's just call this the Premier League at the moment now if those subscription rates go down and aren't sustained then those broadcasters, Um, are less likely to be able to afford the same types of numbers and the types of bids that they have previously been able to um, afford to a degree. Now, it's easy to look at it as an isolation or as a wider point, but ultimately everything will flow back from the consumer and the fan. If fans and consumers aren't willing or aren't able to pay as much um, for luxuries like subscriptions or season tickets or merchandise and the rest, because the wider global economy is in a recession, um, then um, I'm not necessarily convinced any industry is insulated from uh, the economic downturn. There is always going to be the, the popularity of leagues and sports, but it's not uh, those leagues and sports aren't in, a, aren't in a vacuum, I don't think. Yeah, but we, we saw in 2008 that basically sports has, has never looked back since. I mean, it has been a, a trajectory for, you know, great uh, strength and uh, growth um so uh, I, uh, uh, the point is that sport is a bit of a bubble business right i mean it's not like any other business no and i think the other interesting point as well is that you know um usually the purchase of sport by broadcasters or other types of platforms is not necessarily just for sport's sake. A lot of the time, it is because there are lots of other business rationales interlinked yeah. with that. It might well be that in, in UK, for example, um, 
we have three broadcasters, uh, including Amazon now, that all have potentially different reasons. For example, Sky originally bought rights because they wanted to drive subscriptions to um, uh, a satellite platform that was not originally doing very well. Um, BT Sports originally got involved in the Premier League rights because they were concerned that as the number one broadband provider in the UK, that Sky was packaging broadband and Premier League rights for a cheaper rate. So they needed to buy some rights in order to ensure that their broadband customers could stay with them and they could offer the same type of packages. And for example, what is now happening with Amazon, be interesting to know, you know, other thoughts, but I wrote about it in my book a bit, which is, um, are Amazon buying the rights in order to retain existing prime customers in order to be able to acquire new prime customers? And we all know based on research in the US that prime customers usually spend between three times and four times the amount on the Amazon platform as non-prime customers. And it also may be because there is a big data play. Great to know more about the customers that you have by the type of content that they are watching. So all this is in a bigger space. It's not just sports. Um, It's broadband. It's data. It's over the top. It's streaming. um, It's mobile. You know, and all of those things come into the, the midst when broadcasters are deciding for certain, you know, rights, very popular rights, as to the value that they attach to those rights accordingly. Okay. Um, thank you very much. Just one last question. Is there like a big transfer right now that you are dealing with and, and you want to tell us, just us, the Israeli listeners, about... <laughs> Yeah, so I'll I'll tell it to you straight now, and then I think if I did it, then uh, I'd be sacked with my job. My agent <laughs> clients would never speak to me again, and uh, there would be a problem. But uh, no, it's the same. I was a I'm a Liverpool fan. All of my family are Liverpool, big Liverpool fans, and whenever I uh, I know I cannot speak obviously to them for any particular reason, but we did one transfer for them a while for Liverpool a while back, and then all of my family on my WhatsApp are like. Daniel, do you hear? We're just about to buy this player. We're just about to buy this player. The rumor, and I obviously I have to stay stay silent until the deal happens. But when it happens, then I'm like, yes, we worked on it. It's great. And they're like, why didn't you tell us? And I'm like, because I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, no, no big deal between Arsenal and Liverpool or Arsenal and Real Madrid. No, nothing. Nothing like well, that. Well, at the moment, <laughs> the, the truth is, is that even even those clubs will not know until they know that the season can finish and they know that the monies and the budgets that they are going to be able to afford. You know, I don't think. I think all transfers are on uh, on hold within reason because there are a lot of um, unknown situations yeah. right now. Yeah, it doesn't stop the rumors anyhow. Um, so right. uh, we're glad with that. A, a bit more content. Uh, well, of course. In the summertime, maybe when uh, when the transfer starts, maybe we can have another chat, and I can talk to you about some of my experiences where I can. So maybe that might be a nice next opportunity. That's that's going to be great, and I, I will uh, keep in touch with you. Uh, thank you very much, Daniel. It was uh, uh, very interesting, and I hope uh, the listeners uh, will follow you on Twitter and will buy your uh, very interesting book. Uh, you thank also you. have you also have a podcast, right? I do. It's called the Done Deal Podcast as well, the same as the book. So, yeah, I chat about all different types of topics with some of my clients as well. So, yeah, that would be great if, uh, you know, obviously listen to this one first. But, you know, <laughs> if you need any more football stuff, then you can listen to me too. Great. Thank you very much, Daniel. 
and uh, we will uh, keep in touch. Thank you. Bye. היי, חלק שני של פרק 280, אני כבר שכחתי, השיחה עם דניאל בלבלה אותי לחלוטין. כן, זה היה דניאל ג'י סוד, זה דניאל גינזבורג, אבל כולם קוראים לו דניאל ג'י, בגלל סבא שלו, שככל הנראה ניסה קצת להסתיר את העניין הגינזבורגי בשם שלו, בכל זאת אנגליה, בכל זאת... תקופה אחרת וזמנים אחרים. טוב, בקבוצה שלנו, חולים נתון הקבוצה, ביקשתי לשאול, לא ביקשתי לשאול, ביקשתי מכם שתשאלו שאלות שאני אוכל לענות עליהן ולדבר עליהן. אני אתמקד טיפה יותר בעניין של הכדורסל, בגלל שלא היה פודקאסט כדורסל כבר קצת זמן. נועם רון שואל, מה הפורמט חזרה? ל-NBA שפורסם, האהוב ביותר עליכם. אני מאוד אהבתי את הפורמט של המונדיאל, או אליפות העולם בכדורסל, חלוקה לקבוצות, ואז בתים בעצם בין, ה, בין ה, כל הקבוצות משחקות בבתים, ואז השתיים עולות אחרי שני משחקים מול כל קבוצה, חילקו את זה ל... חמש קבוצות של ארבע וארבע קבוצות של חמש וכל מיני דברים כאלה, סליחה, יותר אפילו, חמש, חמש קבוצות של שש ושש קבוצות של חמש וכל מיני דברים כאלה. נראה לי שזה לא יצא לא לפועל בסופו של דבר, בסופו של דבר יעשו מעין טורניר כזה שנראה לי, אני לא יודע. אי אפשר לדעת בוודאות, עובדים על זה עכשיו, אבל נראה לי שבסופו של דבר ילכו על הפורמט הזה של מעין תחרות לפני הפלייאוף, מכמה משחקים תחרותיים יחסית לפני הפלייאוף, הקבוצות מ-1 עד 7 ייכנסו כמעט בוודאות, והקבוצות מ-10 עד 8 או 12 עד 8 ינסו להתמודד בכמה משחקים על המקום השמיני. נראה לי שזה מה יהיה, אני הכי אהבתי את העניין הזה של המונדיאל, אבל אה, זה נראה לי כמו משהו שהוא לא הוגן עבור הקבוצות האחרות שהתחילו את העונה טוב ושיחקו טוב, אה, וכדאי, והם לא מקבלים שום יתרון בגלל שהמשחקים יוסוחקו ככל הנראה באורלנדו, אה, כל המשחקים, הם לא יקבלו שום יתרון באיטיות, ולכן לא רוצים לקחת להם עוד קצת מהיתרון שהם השיגו בהוגנות בעונה הרגילה. טוב, מרואן רושרוש שואל, למי יש את הסיכוי הכי גבוה לזכות בליגת האלופות? האם לביין יש יתרון על האחרות בגלל החזרה המוקדמת? קצת דיברנו על זה בפודקאסטים הקודמים, זה יכול להיות רסט, זה יכול להיות רסט, כלומר זה יכול להיות מנוחה, זה יכול להיות חלודה. ביירן, ככל הנראה יש לה יתרון, כי הם יגיעו בריאים יותר. למשחקי ליגת האלופות, הם התחילו מוקדם יותר, מבחינתם ליגת האלופות תהיה סוג של קדם עונה באיזשהו מקום, אחרי הפסקה ופגרה די ארוכה, הם יגיעו בריאים ומאוד יכול להיות שהקבוצות מהפרמייר ליג או הקבוצות מספרד יגיעו טיפה יותר מותשות אחרי יוני ויולי די קשוחים מבחינת זמני משחקים וכמות משחקים וגם תחרות. 
ולכן לביין כן יש יתרון, ככה אני רואה את זה. דן קופר שואל מה יהיה על אייקס והליגה ההולנדית, בדיוק דניאל הזכיר את זה בשיחה מקודם, על זה שהם הולכים בעצם לנסות להציל את הליגה ההולנדית האייקסנים, פותחים מעין קרן. קרן למען שוויון ולמען הצלת הקבוצות העניות יותר בהולנד. אני מתאר לעצמי שהם יהיו חייבים למכור שניים שלושה שחקנים, שחקני הרכב, בשביל להישאר רווחיים או להישאר לפחות מאוזנים, והם יהיו בסדר, כי יש להם על הרבה שחקני אקדמיה והם ישחקו עם יותר צעירים. וטנהאך כנראה לא עוזב לביירן מינכן, המאמן, ויישאר, אולי ברצלונה תרצה אותו בעתיד, אבל נראה שהם יכולים להתחיל לעבוד, פחות כסף, פחות שכר, אבל זה אף פעם לא היה העניין שם, הכסף והשכר, נגיד את זה ככה. ארנן רוזנבלום שואל, סקירה על פליאות מחאה פוליטית של ספורטאים והאנשים הנלווים מהליגות ובעלי הקבוצות השמרניים שבמסגרתם המחאות התרחשו. אני לא אעשה סקירה, כי הסקירה מאוד ארוכה, ובאמת כתבתי על זה גם בפייסבוק וגם בכלל, ועשו על זה אחרים סרטים ועבודות לאוניברסיטה. לגבי המחאות הכי משפיעות כרגע, בשנים האחרונות, אז המחאה של קולין קפרניק מקבלת צבע אחר לחלוטין כיום, ואנחנו... רואים ומבינים הרבה יותר טוב למה הוא מתכוון, למה הוא התכוון כשהוא החליט לקרוע ברך בזמן ההמנון, הוא דיבר על האלימות המשטרתית שבעצם בימים האחרונים הובילה למחאות הענק האלה בכל רחבי ארה״ב, 140 ערים ויותר, שחלקם הגדול מהמחאות האלה גם הפכו לאלימות, אגב הרבה פעמים בגלל אלימות משטרתית. אני חושב שהמחאה, ודיברנו על זה גם בלוינטל בכל יום שני, המחאה של השחקנים האירופאים, ואפילו לא, לא הייתי מגדיר את זה כמחאה, כי זה יותר כמו אה, סוג של אה, מחווה, פחות אה, מחאה, אה, תתקבל על ידי הקבוצות שיבינו לחלוטין שהשחקנים רוצים להביע את עצמם, ויש להם את הזכות לעשות זאת, במיוחד כשמדובר בזכויות אדם ולא בהכרח אה, נושא פוליטי. דן קופר שואל עוד שאלות, אבל בחייה דן, אי אפשר לענות לך על הכל. הוא כן שואל על המודל הגרמני של חמישה חילופים במשחק, והוא כן יחזור על עצמו בליגות האחרות, כולל הליגה הישראלית, דן. שרון דוידוביץ' שואל, מה שלומכם? מה המצב? שרון, איך אתה מרגיש? שי בליך שואל, במידה וברצלונה תמשיך להתנהל בצורה שרק מדרדרת אותה מבחינה כלכלית, במיוחד אם בבחירות בשנה הבאה ייבחר מישהו מההנהלה הנוכחית, האם יש סיכוי שאחרי פרישה עזיבה של מסי וההשלכות הכלכליות של דבר כזה, המועדון יהפוך להיות מנצ'סטר יונייטד או אפילו מילאן? כן, זה יכול לקרות, ניהול... גורם לדברים טובים מאוד לקרות וגורם לדברים רעים מאוד לקרות. אנחנו רואים את זה לפי המספרים הכלכליים ואנחנו רואים את זה לפי התוצאות על המגרש. כרגע ברצלונה מנוהלת בצורה גרועה, 
אני לא חושב שיש ויכוח לגבי זה, גם מבחינה כלכלית אנחנו רואים שהם במשבר וגם מבחינה ספורטיבית הם תלויים יותר מאי פעם בלאו מסי המזדקן, שכפרה עליו יישאר כמה שיותר זמן בחיינו וישחק עוד הרבה משחקים, הלוואי. אבל כן, אני לא רואה אותם כל כך מתכוננים ומוכנים ליום שאחרי, וההשלכות של זה יכולות להיות מאוד גדולות וחריפות. דרך אגב, ההתנהלות של מנצ'סטר ומנהלת מבחינה כלכלית היא התנהלות טובה. המועדון ממשיך להרוויח ולייצר הכנסות. אני לא מדבר כלכלית. מקרו, אני יותר מדבר כלכלית מיקרו, כלומר יותר על העניין של ההכנסות והגדלת ההכנסות, וכלכלית מקרו הם עדיין בחוב ענק בגלל הרכישה שלהם על ידי משפחת גלייזר. טוב, אלכס מרטיננקו, וואי אלכס יש לך שם של זורק כידון, או חלוץ דינמו קייב. לאחר החזרה לאימונים של הליגות והלו"ז המטורף שצפו לכל הקבוצות, האם הדגש העיקרי בו האימונים הוא על אימונים למניעת פציצות ועל תזונה וכאלה יותר מהרגיל? כן, אני חושב שהמועדונים החכמים יעשו יותר עבודה על מניעת פציעות וחיזוק הגוף וחיזוק ההוליסטי של השחקן, מנטלית, פיזיולוגית. תזונאית וכולי, ופחות התעסקו בדברים, בוא נגיד, שיפור הכושר. נראה לי שזה המועדונים החכמים יעשו, ייאלצו לשפר את הכושר בימים אחרים. עדי זלמונוביץ', נכון? כן. מהם התרחישים האפשריים נכון עכשיו לקיום חלון העברות הקיצי שאמור היה להיפתח בימים אלו, כיצד יסנכנו בכל אירופה בין ליגות שבוטלו, הסתיימו, הולנד, צרפת, גרמניה שמסתיימת עוד מעט ובין ליגות שחוזרות לשחק בסוף החודש, אנגליה, ספרד, איטליה ומה קורה עם השחקנים שאמורים לסיים עכשיו את החוזה אבל הליגה שלהם לא הסתיימה, זה מאוד פשוט, פיפא החליטה שעד שלא מקבלים החלטה לגבי חלון העברות שככל הנראה ייפתח בסוף אוגוסט אחרי גמר ליגת האלופות, בעצם הכל נשאר כרגיל, מעריכים את החוזים, מעריכים את ההסכמים ואחרי הראשון באוגוסט מתחילה הפעילות הנורמלית בשוק העברות השחקנים, כמה, אפשר, כמה שאפשר שזה יהיה נורמלי, עדיין אין לזה אישורים סופיים אבל ככל הנראה זה מה שיקרה, סליחה לא הראשון באוגוסט. סוף אוגוסט, כאילו ברגע שאנחנו נדע מתי גמר ליגת האלופות, מיד אחריו יתחיל הפעילות של בעצם העונה הבאה, שזה כולל שוק העברות השחקנים, תאריכים למוקדמות, תאריכים לכדורגל נבחרות באותה שנה. זה בלאגן, אבל יצליחו, יסתדרו, ישבו מול האקסלים ויראו את התאריכים ויקבעו אותם. אלכס סטנדינג שואל, שאלה קצת מאתגרת, תודה אלכס, תודה על האתגר, מדי פעם אתם זורקים על מיליונרים שנהיו כאלה בזכות הימורים עם דאטה מתקדם, כשמישהו, כמישהו שמתעניין בתחום, מאיפה מציינים נתונים על קבוצות שייתנו לך יתרון בידע חוץ מהוסקורד, כמה זה עולה ואיך, האם אתם מיליונרים, האם אותם מיליונרים, אנחנו לא מיליונרים. 
עדיין לא. האם אותם מיליונרים עשו את כספם בזמן משחקי לייב או הימורים לפני תחילת משחק? בקיצור, ספורט בטינג המתקדם. זה הרבה שאלות וזה אכן מאתגר. יש חברות שמתמחות ביצירת נתונים לחברות הימורים. סתם לדוגמה, סטאצבאום. שאתם יכולים לראות חלק מהנתונים שיש להם בפוטבול רפרנס או בספורטס רפרנס, הם עובדים עם סוכניות הימורים, עם חברות הימורים ומייצרים עבורם נתונים שהמאמרים רוצים או שמי ששם את ההימורים רוצה. יותר מזה, יש חברות הימורים ש... שעושות את כל הדאטה ואוספות את כל הדאטה בעצמם ואז מנתחות את כל הדאטה בעצמם עם כל מיני חבר'ה מבריקים מסטנפורד ומהרווארד וכאלה, חבר'ה שיודעים מדעני דאטה, יש בזה הרבה מאוד כסף ולכן זה עסק מאוד רווחי. אמיר מישאלי שואל מהן השלכות טקטיות של מעבר לחמישה חילופים, לאיזה קבוצות זה יעזור יותר, אז אני חושב שדיברנו על זה קצת בלוינטל בכל יום שני האחרון, ונשלח אתכם לשם, עדיין לא רואים את ההשלכות, יהיה אולי בעתיד, יהיה לנו יותר דאטה ונדע יותר על העניינים האלה. ולגבי ה-NBA כרגע, אנחנו לא יודעים איזה פורמט ייבחר, בקרוב אנחנו נדע מה, על מה הם הולכים. אנחנו יודעים שחלק מהשחקנים משתתפים בהפגנות, ג'יילן בראון של בוסטון סלטיקס, אנחנו יודעים שחלק מהשחקנים מתאמנים ביום יום ומנסים לשמר על כושר ולהיכנס לכושר. אנחנו יודעים שג'ייר סמית <laughs> פירק במכות מישהו שכביכול שבר... חלון במכונית שלו, קורים דברים, כרגע אני לפחות מתמקד יותר בענייני פרמייר ליג ולליגה וכאלה, כי הם אלו שיתחילו בקרוב, אני עדיין יש בעמוד שלנו פינות NBA כאלו ואחרות וחדשות ו... ושאלונים וכאלה, אבל כרגע פחות פודקאסטים של ה-NBA, אנחנו כנראה נעשה בקרוב איזשהו משהו, אבל באמת, אנחנו מתמקדים כרגע טיפה יותר בעניינים של, של הליגות הכדורגל שחוזרות אלינו. וזהו, מה, כאילו גם, גם די דיברנו על ה-NBA ועל הסטאנס וכל הסיפורים האלה. אז... ככה, טוב, חברים, יאללה, נראה לי ש-50 דקות ככה עם הפודקאסט של לוינטון בכל יום שני, שהוקלט השבוע, יש לכם מספיק תוכן, נראה לי, לא? גם זה תוכן באנגלית, קצת עם שיחות עם עורך דין, זה לא הדבר הכי קל בעולם, או מסחרי בעולם, אבל בגלל זה אנחנו פה. בכל מקרה, מי שמאזין, תודה רבה לך. תודה רבה לדניאל ג'י שדיבר איתנו, תודה רבה לקפה טורקי עילית על החסות לפרק, תודה רבה ללשכת המסחר הודו ישראל על החסות לפירוט הפרק, ואני אשמח מאוד אם אתם תשתפו את הדברים שלנו, תגיבו על הדברים שלנו, תדונו על הדברים שלנו בקבוצת פייסבוק שלנו, בעמוד פייסבוק שלנו, 
ובקרוב אנחנו כנראה נעשה עוד כמה וכמה דברים מעניינים עבורכם, ואז כבר תתחיל הליגה ויאללה, בלאגן. טוב אנשים, יאללה ביי.